the book of the Revelation, chapter number 17. We're going to finish this chapter this afternoon. We looked last week at the first five verses of the chapter. I shared with you this woman that is described in these verses is a symbol of the one world religion that will be on the earth in this time frame. The church will be gone, the Holy Spirit will be removed, and Satan will have free course, and he knows that people are religious. All people are religious. They're worshiping something. Every person on the face of the earth is worshiping something. And our goal is to get them to see their great need of worshiping the one true God and accepting Jesus as their Savior. But once the church has been removed and the Holy Spirit has been removed, now he will come and work. He's not gone to never work, but he will be like in the Old Testament times, working because the church has been taken out. And so we saw in these first five verses that this woman, which is called Babylon, is the apostate one world church, which will come to full control of the world's religions and will collaborate and join forces with the one world government. We also saw that this one world church hates true Christianity. Now, there is a semblance of the one world church now. Satan is already at work. We have lots of different denominations, but many of those denominations are already sold out to Satan. All those mainline denominations that have taken on the woke and the LGBT plus mentality have already sold out to Satan. It will be no problem just to bring them right in. And so those religious movements, and I'm talking about the, the denominations and those that run those denominations. There are many people, unfortunately, in those denominations who know Jesus, but just have not been taught and don't have enough biblical training to know that they need to get out of those churches. Some of them have loyalty. We found this when we went to Nebraska to start a church, that the state religion there is pretty much Lutheran. And these people are loyal to the Lutheran church because their ancestry went there. And they are not going to leave it even though they may see things that are not in agreement with Scripture, they're not going to leave the church. And that's unfortunate. So this one world church is in the making now. And when the church, true church is raptured out and the Holy Spirit is taken out, then Satan will begin to draw his forces in, creating this one world church. And one of the main characteristics of this one world church is its hatred for Christianity and its hatred for Christians. And we saw that described in these first five verses. Well, this afternoon, we pick up, I'm going to pick up with verse number six, Revelation chapter 17, verse six. 
And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered or I marveled with great astonishment, not admiration. It wasn't that he looked at that and said, man, that's a wonderful. No, he was absolutely astonished. That's the meaning of the word admiration. And the angel said to me, Wherefore did thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and the ten horns. So first of all, we see point one, the woman drunk with the blood of the martyrs. A woman is pictured, but not only as the source of all evil apostate religion, but also as the one actively engaged in the persecution of true saints or Christians. Her wickedness is described, point B. She's drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. History has shown, point three, that apostate religion is relentless in its persecution of those who attempt to maintain a true and faithful testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a ministry that's well known today in Christian circles, Christian circles, martyrs for Christ. And they minister around the world to believers that are being persecuted and many of them being martyred for their faith. Why? Because the religion of that area where they're trying to reach people for Christ hates Christianity. It has always been that way since Christianity began. They hated the founder of Christianity, the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, they hate Christians. Satan doesn't like Christ, and Satan doesn't like Christians. And Satan doesn't like you. And it does us well to understand that and remember that. Satan is not your friend. This world, which is, which is his kingdom, is not your friend. The world and Satan is set on destruction. And he will take down any Christian that he can take down with him. Now, he cannot destroy your salvation if you've been truly born again, but he can wreak havoc on your testimony. He can ruin your life. And I have encountered and counseled many believers whose lives have been ruined because they chose not to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't become a victim of Satan. It's not popular to live for the Lord. It's not popular to be a Christian, but it's the right thing. Don't let the world and the things of the world fool you into believing that we are a bunch of idiots. No, we're the smart ones. We have settled our account with the Lord, and we know where we're going when we die. So we see here that history shows, you can go back and you can read history, church history, and find that the apostate religion has always hated Christianity. And the angel, that point D should not be angle, it is angel. So please correct that. The angel responds to John's astonishment by preparing him for the explanation concerning the woman and her beast in verse number seven. Verse eight, the beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. 
and they shall dwell they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they beheld when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is so we see the origin of the beast point number 2 in verse 8 the angel first gives an unusual description of the beast he explains the beast chronologically was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition the phrase was and is not is existed and then was gone. The reason for that being gone, we are not told. Point two under 2b, ascendeth out of the bottomless pit. The beast reappears out of the abyss, a place of immeasurable death, depth. The idea of the bottomless pit, it's a place of immeasurable depth. Does it have a bottom? We don't know because you can't measure it. It's called bottomless. But we find that A is the place from which Satan and demons come when they appear on the earth. And B, it indicates that the power behind this beast is satanic. And then we see that it was and is not and ascendeth out of the bottomless pit, and three, and go into perdition. The eventual eternal end of the beast is destruction. For before its destruction, this political empire will have such power as will cause wonder and amazement. I mean, this beast is going to leave an impact on the earth the time that it has. And the impact is not going to be good. Point C, the beast is the world government which is revived. The government is empowered by Satan. Now there have been times down through history, if you go back and read history, where there was a predominant world government of the known world at that time. And that's happened on many occasions. And so this is a resurgence of that type of government, but it truly will be worldwide. Now, point D, just for information, many speculate this will be a revival of the Roman government, which existed in John's day. Whether it is or not, I don't know. There are some things that people draw from this that kind of make them feel like this is a revival of the old Roman government. Point three, verses nine through 11, the seven heads of the beast. Verse nine, and here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman standeth. So when you read something like that, you know what the seven heads are. There are seven mountains, and the woman is standing on those seven mountains. Verse 10, and there are seven kings. Five are fallen. One is, and the other 
is not yet. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth, number eight, and is of the seven, and goeth into perdition. All right, so let's look at this in their notes. Point 3a, here is the mind which hath wisdom. What the angel is saying, this calls for a mind that has wisdom, which is anticipating the difficulty and the complexity of the revelation that he is going to share. And now I know if you read, when you read the verse, you think, whoa, 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 whoa. yeah, I did that too. Several times, and I still do. The key here is verse 9, the seven heads are mountains on which the woman sitteth. It indicates the seat of religious power and could very well be Rome geographically because Rome, point two, has been described throughout history as a city on seven hills. And a lot of commentators just believe strongly that it will be Rome and that the one world religion will be Roman Catholicism. That's what a lot of commentators believe. I'm not saying that I agree totally with that or I I disagree with that. Verse 10, he says, There are seven kings, five are fallen. Those are past kings. One is, that's the one presently, and the other is not yet, that's future. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. So we see in verse 10, there are seven kings described. Five are said to have fallen. One is in existence during John's day, and the seventh is yet to come. The seven heads are best explained as referring to seven kings who represent seven successive forms of the kingdom. Verse 11 And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth and is of the seven and goeth into perdition. So the eighth head, the beast, the other seven are called kings or political figures. But the eighth is called a beast. A, he's called a beast to describe the ruthlessness which with he will rule. And B, he's called a beast because of the avenue through which Satan carries out his diabolical wishes. The eighth head is the political power of the great tribulation period, the last three and a half years of the seven years of tribulation or of seven years of trouble. So this eighth head seems to be the political power ruling in the last three and a half years of the tribulation. 
Number three, the beast was, is not, even he is the eighth, and is of the seven, and goeth into perdition. The phrase is of the seven, this eighth head, being of the last world government, will be a protege of the previous world governments. And B, this eighth head, being in power when Christ returns, will be destroyed by Christ and his army. So a summary, point E, of what we see in verse 8 through 11 is the final form of Gentile world power in alliance with apostate religion symbolized by the harlot. Then verse 12 through verse number 14. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. For he is the Lord of lords and King of kings. They that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. So the ten horns of the beast, verses 12 through 14. We see further detail of the final stage of the world empire is given. There's a nucleus of ten kings that are seemingly joined together in a confederacy. The ten kings rule as at the same time and not in succession as did the seven horns. Point B, the ruling power and the period of rule is subject to the beast itself. The time of their power, point C, is brief. It's not just literally an hour. It's the, depicting a short period of time. D, this is the avenue through which the powers of the various world kingdoms is transmitted to the beast. And E, the ten kings make war with the lamb, and the lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the, it, they are destroyed by him. Verse 15 talks about waters, and he called and said to me, The waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So there's another one where we can say, okay, when he's talking about those waters that we just read about, he's actually talking about people. We see the woman is sitting upon the many waters, overseeing and ruling the vast number of people. The waters are symbolic of all people on the earth at that time. And here the woman is described as having ruling control over the multitudes of people on the earth. So we're given that understanding. Verse 16 through verse 18. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast... These shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God hath put in their hearts 
to fulfill his will and to agree and to give their kingdoms to the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. Now you read verse 17 and you think, why in the world is God allowing this to happen? When we ought to be asking, why do I need to worry because God's in control? He is allowing these things to happen and we learn from this because of his omnipotence and his being sovereign, ruling over everything. He is using sin and sinners sinlessly. He's using these to accomplish his task, that his will ultimately is going to be done. Then verse 18, and the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. So verse 16 to 18, talk about the destruction of the woman. And again, we know the woman is the one world church, the one world religious system. These 10 kings of verse 12 turn on the woman or this one world religious system and literally destroy her. She's stripped of her glory and pomp. This is a graphic picture of the downfall of the apostate one world church of the future. So again, you and I can take heart in our day that the one world church will not ultimately be victorious. It will be destroyed. And all these false religions that we see in the world today and these great big mega denominations that are absolutely walking contrary to the truths of the word of God one day are going to be destroyed. They're going to be taken care of. God's keeping perfect records. And when the time comes and it's his time, he will take care of this. And he will use them to destroy themselves. Mine. I find that so interesting. So this apostate one world church will ultimately be destroyed. Now it seems that the time of this downfall of the one world religion best fits the middle of the tribulation period. The first three and a half years of the tribulation period, apostasy, the one world religious system flourishes under the guise of peace. There will be all kinds of havoc going on in the first three and a half years, but there will be a sense of false peace and people will be persuaded that the world is enjoying peace. The world is being convinced more and more by the unsaved and by religious and political leaders that if we could just get rid of the Christians, it would be a much happier world. And there are many who are falling for that lie and are falling under the guise of a sense of calm and harmony once the Christians are gone. And it's not going to happen. Once the church is removed and the restrainer, the Holy Spirit, is taken out, 
then Satan has free course. And he's going to wreak havoc. But the first three and a half years he's going to use to convince people that everything's good. And he's going to use this one world religious system to bring that into being. But after the first three and a half years, he's accomplished what he wants to accomplish with this one world religion. So what's he going to do? He's going to get rid of it. He's going to destroy it. Which means he's going to destroy people. All those that help to make up this one world religious system for the most part are going to be slaughtered and massacred and killed. We read what the ten kings are going to do to the harlot. That's the one world church. And it's just interesting to see how this all plays out. But with the beginning, point two under D, 6D, two, with the beginning of the second half of the tribulation, which is the great tribulation, the head of the world political system proclaims himself as the dictator of the world. No longer needing apostate religion, he destroys it so that will not interfere with his dictatorship. He replaces apostate religion with the worship of himself. He becomes the world's God and demands that the world will worship him. In the end of the chapter, verse number 18, the woman of verse 1 is described as that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. But in the last verse, this woman Babylon is the one world apostate church ruling over those who will one day bring down its destruction. Having had great glory and pomp will one day fall in shame and humiliation. It's just amazing to see what is going to happen. I read this. Number one, I thank God I'm not going to be a part of it. That he holds me fast. Number two, I thank God that I can look at what's going on in the world today and I can find a satisfaction that God's going to take care of all this. I don't need to be frustrated and worried and scared to death of what's going on in the world. I just simply need to rest in the Lord and in his ability and in his power. And if I question God's ability and power, I can go back and read verse 16 and 17 telling me that God is in control of what's going on in the world today. God is setting up the world for this type of one world religion and one world government. That's why we see, we look at our political leaders, especially here in America, and we think, what in the world is wrong with these people? Do they not see what they're doing? Do they not understand what they're bringing America to? And the answer is, no, they don't. They have been so blinded by Satan into believing 
that what they are doing is the right thing. So when you get frustrated with that and you read about what's happening in Washington and other places, maybe even in South Carolina, you just remember God's in control of all this. He's still on the throne. No one's taking him down and no one's going to take him down. And he ultimately will bring about the victory. So find peace in this. A lot of this I don't fully understand, most of it. I just try to believe it and hold on to it as best I can. But one thing I know for sure, my God is in charge. And I can rest in him. And I can go to bed at night, lay my head on my pillow and say, Lord, you've got this. Whether I wake up in the morning in this bed or in heaven, you've got this. And I'm resting in you. Whatever you're going through tonight, there's turmoil in your life. Leave it with the Lord. I don't know why he's brought that into your life. But I'm going to tell you, he's doing a good work through it. You may not see it, but you just keep praying about it. You keep praying and praying and praying. Physical problems that you deal with, you just keep praying. God's got it, and he's in control. And even though we don't understand the suffering as good, he's molding us and making us into people more like his son. And in the end, we will be the victors. So I thank you, Father, that I can tell these people that, that your word makes it very clear. And I read a verse like, for God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. I find great comfort and peace in that. And by faith, I believe that you are doing a good work. I may not see it, but I don't have to. I know that you're on the throne, and I trust in you tonight. And I pray that all of us will. Keep us through this week, guide our steps in our lives that we might be conformed to the image of Christ and we might rest in you till Jesus comes or you take us home. And it's in his name we pray, amen.